Thank you. What a wonderful truth. Um, his life for mine. Diane, it's been good to have you uh, here with us. How much longer are you going to be here before you go back? Until Saturday. So uh, uh, you can pray for, for Diane. Going back to her family. Her dad passed her in California. And you guys grew up in Chile. And uh, both... Um, they're cousins by way of daddies and uh, Chilean pastors, and uh, they are now both pastoring in the United States uh, here. And so you pray for Diana as she goes back uh, there to California. We'll be in Revelation chapter 19. You have pray for her as she goes back to California, <laughs> of all places. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11. Let's move on with the Word of God. 19, verse 11, with me as we read a portion of God's word here this morning. <clears throat> Revelation 19, verse number 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. We have here the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this marvelous, wonderful event that uh, as a child of God, we ought to so long for. And this day, and just as sure as we're here, it's going to happen. I'd like you to join me this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we so need His help. Would you pray today that God's way would be done in each and every heart here this morning. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful promise that we read about in the scripture this morning. And we believe it literally, that it will be fulfilled. Lord, I, I don't know any heart, but Lord, there's no doubt somebody in an audience this size this morning 
who's come into this place, not by accident, but you've drawn them by your spirit and God, you're speaking. Here this morning, you're knocking upon that heart. We pray today for the courage just to bow the knee to you, that you would today be born in their heart. Lord, I pray here this morning, maybe there's one of your children today that just a little bit away from you, not where they ought to be. Lord, I pray this morning this thought of your return might be a challenge to that heart. Oh, God, help us to surrender. We long for true, genuine, heaven-sent revival. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Have your way this morning in Jesus' name. And you may be seated this morning. I want you to go back with me to Revelation chapter 1. And verse number 7, we've been in the book of Revelation now for some time. and We've come all the way to chapter number 19. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 7, we have the theme of the book, and it centers around the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here the word of God reads, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Since the fall of man, the earth has been in turmoil. And we presented this truth going all the way back to Revelation chapter 1, that uh, when man fell, when man sinned against God, man forfeited the title deed of this earth to Satan. Since that time, this earth has known murder and death and war and hatred and thievery and rebellion and immorality and every vile and imaginable sin that man could fathom in his heart and some things that are just mind-blowing in which we live today. It's the result of sin. The heart of man is desperately wicked, the Bible describes it. But Jesus Christ is coming back again. That's the wonderful promise. And when he comes back, Satan will be bound a thousand years. We read about that in Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation 19, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into hell where they will burn forever and ever. The enemies of God that we read in this passage of Scripture are going to be defeated once and for all. We find that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is going to rule upon the throne of David. And he's going to bring peace to this troubled world. Uh, this morning in, in Sunday school, we looked at some of the prophecies of the Old Testament, and we started in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 proclaims Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace. And the Bible describes there in Isaiah chapter 9 that Jesus Christ would sit upon the throne of David, and at the end and increase of his government, there would be no end, and he would bring peace and prosperity to the world. And that's the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only when Christ returns that this world is going to know peace. Until the return of Christ, this world is going to be in trouble. Uh, the world today cries for peace. Uh, used to see all the time you drive to Santa Fe and you would see these little bumper stickers, visualize world peace. You have a lot of people that are clamoring and, and crying out for peace today, but the Bible tells us when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, is travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. The world 
groans today under the burden of sin. All you have to do is, is listen to the news for uh, 30 minutes or so. And you can see the trouble of our world. And it's only the return of the Lord Jesus Christ that is going to bring healing to this world that is filled and, and living uh, today in sin. I want to take uh, here this morning the thought of the Lord's return and just uh, uh, kind, of, uh, kind of lay a foundation and look at some very important things and some thoughts today and, and then just bring that down to what that ought to mean to you and I here this morning. Uh, first of all, let's just consider the context of the Lord's return. When does Christ return? When will this event that we read about in Revelation chapter number 19 take place? Now, we believe this morning in a visible literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we believe, as the Bible says, that when he returns at this point, every eye will see him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. After the resurrection, and just uh, as Jesus ascended into heaven, he took his disciples to the mount, and uh, they beheld as Jesus was taken up from their midst into heaven where he would be seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. As the disciples looked up into heaven, they looked until they could see no more. The angel said, why stand you gazing? And then they made this marvelous statement, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner. It would be the visible, literal, bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the book of Revelation gives us the context here. If we were to go back into chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, we have the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. These were seven literal churches, just like Valley Bible Baptist Church. These were local churches with a pastor, uh, with membership, just like Valley Bible Baptist Church. Seven literal churches. But we saw these churches also prophetic of the church age. We now live today in this church age. This is the day of grace. God's offer of salvation sounds forth today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's very clear that the Lord waits patiently today for people to be saved. If you were to go forward to Revelation chapter 22, the last book of the Bible, uh, you'll find throughout the Bible invitations. And in Revelation 22, verse number 17, here's the heart of God for this church age. In Revelation 22, verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Uh, that's the desire of God. The Lord wants men and women and boys and girls to be saved. The Lord wants uh, to have a personal relationship with people today. And the church age is this age in which that plea goes forth. But I believe this church age is very soon coming to an end. If you were to go to Revelation chapter 4, uh, we find from Revelation chapter 4 there's no more mention of the church on this earth until we have the return of Christ. In Revelation 4, I believe we have a beautiful picture of the next major event. 
And we read in verse number 1, After this I looked, and behold, a, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and once sat on the throne. And I believe here we have a, a picture of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verses 13 through 18. And we have often referred to this as the rapture of the saints. It's the time when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And, and John had a picture and a type of that. And in Revelation 4 and 5, we find that the saints are then in heaven with the Lord around the throne, worshiping the Lamb that is worthy, the one that shed his blood and gave his life for the forgiveness of our sin. And again, no more mention of the church there upon this earth. Following the rapture, the Bible teaches that the world will enter into a time of tribulation. We spend a lot of time going through the tribulation here in the book of Revelation. Uh, the events of the tribulation are expounded from Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 6 starts with the rise of an antichrist and a false prophet that will come upon the scene. Uh, there will be wars and natural disasters and and disease and pestilence and it's clear as we march through those chapters that half of the world's population will be destroyed by the end of the tribulation. Uh, the tribulation will be the final seven years in Daniel chapter 9 that is given to the Jewish people to bring about their repentance. It's God's prophetic timetable for the Jews. During the tribulation a great division takes place. Antichrist is going to demand to be worshipped. There will be the mark of the beast and we spent a little bit of time just covering some of the technological advances today that make this very possible and we can see things today that even 10 to 15 years ago could not be seen. And so we see all of these events beginning to fall together and Antichrist will demand to be worshipped. However, God during this tribulation will raise up some witnesses there will be great revival. Uh, there will be many Jews that will recognize that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah. And it's evident that there will be people from every nation and tribe and tongue that will come to know the Lord. Near the end of the tribulation, uh, Satan, Antichrist, false prophet, that unholy trinity, uh, will gather together the nations of the world to a final battle. We call that the battle of Armageddon as the Bible spoke of this here in Revelation. And, and the world at that point will be on the verge of total destruction when Jesus Christ returns at the end of the tribulation. I want you to go with me, keep your place in Revelation 19. We're coming back there. But go back with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, chapter 24, I want you to see a parallel passage uh, that is parallel. Revelation 19. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus Christ describes for his disciples this event of his return. Matthew 24, I want to pick up in verse number 29. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 29. Reads, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. 
And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds uh, from one end of the heaven to the other. And uh, I believe here this uh, parallel passage as the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven. That's the context of the return of Christ. Now there are some contrasts concerning the Lord's return. I've mentioned the rapture. There's a contrast between the rapture and the return of Christ. I believe very clearly biblically there are two different events. Uh, for example, the rapture is a private affair. It's described as the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Jesus will come for his saints. He will not be seen or recognized by a lost world at that time. Rather, he's going to remove his saints from the tribulation that is to come. And uh, the dead in Christ will rise. And we which are alive and remain caught up together with the Lord to meet the Lord in the air. The rapture is going to take place prior to the tribulation, prior to the coming Antichrist. The rapture... I believe is imminent. By that, it can happen at any moment, at any time. Uh, the Bible says that the rapture is the blessed hope of the Christian. We're exhorted to watch and to wait for that time. Uh, we are to live expectantly as if this may be the very day that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. We don't know when that is going to be. We, no man knows the day nor the hour. But what we can see is that events in our world are very quickly uh, moving forward to this fulfillment of Scripture in the Bible. The rapture, a private event. But on the other hand, the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation is a very public affair. For the Bible describes that every eye will see him and all the earth will mourn because of him. In the rapture, he comes for his saints before the tribulation. In the return, he comes, and this is a key statement, he comes with his saints. He comes for his saints. In the return of Christ, he comes back with his saints. In Revelation 19, verse number 14, and it reads, The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. I'm going to be a cowboy one day, uh, coming back with Jesus on a white horse, clothed with fine linen, white and clean. When the Bible speaks of the fine linen, it's the righteousness of of the saints and we understand that our righteousness is of him when I was born again his righteousness was put to my account my sin was put to his account I was bought by his blood that he shed for me and so here the Lord Jesus is returning with his saints go back to the book of Jude uh, the book of Jude and this is the book just before the book of Revelation it's the next to the last book in the Bible one chapter. In Jude verse 14, this is an amazing prophecy. In Jude 14, or verse 14, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. 
to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so here we have this return of Christ with his saints. So biblically, the rapture and the return are two distinct, two different events. We see the contrast between them. Now, there's another contrast that's important, and it's the contrast between the first and the second comings of Christ. There are very clear Old Testament prophecies of a suffering Messiah. We've spent a lot of time uh, covering that in our Sunday school hour, looking at the 330 some odd prophecies concerning the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first coming, God would enter the world as a child. Emmanuel, God with us. A, a meek baby that would be laid in a manger. Uh, he would live among men as a servant. He said the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve, to become a minister to others. Uh, he came as that servant to pour out his life for mankind. In Philippians chapter 2, God humbled himself and became a man. And not only a man, he became a servant. And not only a servant, he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So well described for us in Isaiah chapter 53 uh, where we have that meek lamb uh, going excruciating pain suffering for us in Psalm 22 where he would cry out my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me because the sin and weight of all the sin of the world would be placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. See there are these Old Testament prophecies that tell of the Messiah that he would pour himself out for the sins of man, uh, that he would suffer the most excruciating death that mankind could suffer, that he would bear the sins of the world, that he would face the wrath of God upon that cross that we might be saved. And all of this was fulfilled in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the meek lamb laying down his life. But other prophecies tell of a coming conquering king. Tell of a Messiah destroying the enemies of God. Ruling upon the throne of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In that coming of Christ, he would be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the president of presidents, the governor of governors, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders. That would be the second coming of Christ. He will come in power. He will come in glory and every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You see, there's such a contrast between the first coming and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jewish scholars could look into their Old Testament prophecies and they could see this contrast. And as a result, there were many Jewish scholars that said there must be two different messiahs. There must be one that is a suffering servant. There must be one that is a conquering king. But we understand this morning they're one and the same. We understand that Jesus Christ fulfills both. He fulfilled the first part with his first coming to die, to pay for man's sins. But with his second coming, he comes to rule. He came, comes to reign. He comes to be worshipped. He comes to be exalted. That's the contrast. Now, what we want to do, go to Revelation 19. We're going to take some time this morning just to look at this second coming 
of Jesus Christ. Marvelous, wonderful prophecy. Future events. Just as sure as we're here today, it's going to take place. I want to start in verse number 11 and simply look at his appearance. It reads in verse 11, I saw heaven opened. Behold a white horse, he that sat upon him. You see, as the world is on the verge of destruction, we said that the world will be in the midst of a world war, the battle of Armageddon. As the world is on the verge of destruction, as Antichrist has gathered the armies of the world together in the valley of Megiddo, as that is taking place, suddenly heaven will open. And all of the world will have a glimpse into heaven and every eye will see him. And that will be the appearance of royalty, the appearance of holiness, the appearance of purity. He will ride in that day upon a white horse as a coming conquering king. I want you to picture for me this morning, and it's not hard for us to picture. We live in a world of rebellion today. We live in a world that has lifted its fist against a holy God. We live in a world today that men and women and boys and girls tell, don't tell me how to live my life. Don't judge me. Don't quote the word of God to me. I don't believe in God. I don't want God. I want my own life. I want to do my own thing. Now, that is going to be multiplied in the time of the tribulation. And with a world that has that attitude suddenly Heaven is open and a holy God appears and every eye will see Jesus. And the Bible describes that all the kindreds of the earth shall mourn because of him. Men will be broken in the presence of a holy God. And suddenly fear will grip the hearts of men. In Revelation 19, verse 12, as we describe his appearance, his eyes were as a flame of fire. That speaks of piercing eyes. Nothing hidden from the presence of Jesus Christ. There's no person that will go into a corner and hide from Jesus when he returns from heaven. He sees everything, nothing hidden, nothing disguised. No one will escape the eyes, these piercing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on his head, verse number 12, were many crowns. You see, my Jesus is the supreme authority of the universe. And every knee will bow before this king. Verse 13 says... He was clothed within, or with a, a vesture dipped in blood. Now, of course, we know that Jesus shed his blood. But I think also we could talk here in this context. It appears to be the blood of his enemies because he's coming as a conquering king. He's coming to conquer and to defeat the enemies of God. This is his appearance. And as we read in Revelation chapter 19, there are his names. Now, names are important in the Bible. Uh, the names that are given of the Lord, they, they describe the very person, the very character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go to verse number 11 again. It says, I saw him, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Jesus Christ 
has always been faithful. Uh, he's faithful to his father. He was faithful to us. He's faithful to his calling. He's true. He never told a lie. His words are always the truth. And that one, as he returns, is called faithful and true. In verse number 12, he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And this is a special name, a secret name, a holy name. We'll not even conjecture what it is for the Bible says no man knew but he himself. But in verse number 13, his name is called the Word of God. Now that clearly identifies this person to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6, there was another rider on a white horse. He's an imposter. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's the Antichrist. But this rider upon the white horse is the faithful and true Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. John chapter Verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Beginning, uh, or He was in the beginning with God, all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. My friend, this Word of God coming from heaven is that Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God that became flesh, God that became man, a God that ascended to heaven, and God that's coming back to rule and to reign upon this earth. Verse 16 describes him. And he hath a vesture, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's evident when Jesus returns from heaven, he's coming to rule and to reign. He's not going to be the meek lamb that went to the cross. No, when he comes, he's king, he's Lord. He will be worshipped, he will be adored. Every knee will bow before him. We have his appearance but his purpose in coming is very clear. He's coming back to conquer. Verse 11, the latter part, says, And in righteousness he doth judge and make. As Jesus returns from heaven, he's going to defeat once and for all the enemies of God. I like verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. What is that sword? It's the word. See, God's word is powerful. I want you to think about this. By his word, he created everything from nothing. By his word, he spoke the world into being. He simply had to say, let there be light. And there was light. And he made the stars also. He spoke them into being. I read about a star named Betelgeuse. I like that name, Betelgeuse. And it's a star that dwarfs, uh, dwarfs our sun. And uh, he made it all. By his word, by his power, the billions and billions of star. I, I saw the moon this morning when I got up, and oh, what a beautiful moon in the sky. He made it all. That's the power of his word. But you understand when Jesus returns, he will speak the word. Now, the Bible describes there's a war taking place when Jesus returns. 
Antichrist has gathered the armies of this earth to the valley of Megiddo. I believe he's done so for the purpose of turning against Jesus because Satan knows his time is short. And he knows that Jesus is returning, so Satan gathers the armies of the earth. And the Bible says as heaven is opened, suddenly Antichrist and all the armies of this earth will turn their nuclear weapons and their guns upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what a foolish thing to do. Because all Jesus has to do is speak the word out of his mouth, goeth a sharp sword. All Jesus has to do is speak the word, and suddenly they're destroyed. There's no atomic bomb. There's no nuclear weapon that can defeat or beat my Jesus. That's the power of his word. Nations will be destroyed. It says in verse 15, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treaded the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. I want to look at a couple of verses here. Keep your place. Revelation 19. Let's go back into some scripture. Go back to Jude again. Verses 14 and 15. As it describes this return of Jesus. In verse 15. As he returns. He's coming to execute judgment upon all. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, go to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. And uh, we'll start in chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter number 1. As it describes this return of Jesus from heaven. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse number 6 read seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you it says to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired of all men, or of all, uh, of all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now go to chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians and verse number 8. And it reads, Then shall that wicked, this is the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. My friends, when Jesus comes, he's coming to conquer. He's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. Now go back to Revelation chapter 19. Because the Lord describes the results of this coming and of this judgment. Go to verse number 17, Revelation 19. As the Lord speaks his word, and the nations are destroyed. Verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. Come gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And friend, you say, is, is, this, uh, is this cruel of God? No, my friend, a world that has stuck its fist in the face of God, a, a world that has been offered the gift of salvation, a world that has simply said, if you would bow the knee to Jesus, he would forgive. But a world that has said, I don't want Jesus. 
I don't want him to rule and reign over me. I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing in a world that goes into war, a world that goes into murder, a world that goes into rape, and a world that uh, continues to rebel and reject against God. My friend, God is holy. God is righteous. And God will come to rule and reign. And by his word, he speaks the word. And the fowl are gathered to eat the flesh of kings and men that have rebelled against this holy God. I want you to go to verse number 19. It describes this Antichrist and the false prophet. I saw the beast. That's the Antichrist he's spoken of in Revelation 13. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war. How foolish against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them, that he received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both, look at this, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. I want you to go to Revelation 20. Verse 10, 1,000 years later. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, my friend, it's very clear that my Jesus is the victor. Amen. Satan will be bound. Ultimately, Satan will be defeated. And ultimately, the title deed to this earth is going to be delivered into the hands of my God, my King, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Just a couple of concluding thoughts here this morning. You know, sometimes we get discouraged. We live in a wicked world, don't we? And it appears sometimes that wrong wins, and that right is punished. But God sees it all. His all-seeing eyes will hold men accountable. Payday is coming upon this world. And God is always the victor. Those that know Jesus Christ as Savior are on the winning side. And friend, if you're born again, you're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Your Jesus is going to reign. But God cannot, will not lie. Just as sure as we're here today, Jesus is coming back. His word is going to be fulfilled. Now, I want to give some thoughts here because for you and I, uh, we can see verations for these events being made in our world today. We can see all the pieces beginning to fall together. We can see a world being prepared for these final events Remember, before these final events, there's the rapture. The blessed hope of the Christian. I want to look at one more scripture. Go with me to Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to close this morning with this scripture. Titus chapter 2. In verse number 11, it reads, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, 
teaching us the denying ungodliness. This is verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, verse 12. Teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For you and I, we ought to be looking for that appearing of Jesus, that rapture, that trumpet that would be sound to call us up hither. I simply ask you this morning, are you saved? Do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Does God's Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? Friend, don't have today a false hope. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul, so to speak. If you're uncertain today, it's not worth messing around, friend. This is going to happen. These events are going to take place. But you can know the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have a personal relationship with Him. Are you saved? Do you know that you know? Does God's Spirit bear witness with your spirit? Has there been a time that you've come in saving faith to Jesus Christ and to Him alone and really received His gift of salvation? And if you are saved this morning... Are you right with God? Are you pure in heart? Are you following what Titus told us to do? To deny ungodliness, worldly loss, to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Well, I'm excited because I'm going to get to see Jesus one day. But you know, the, the longer I, I live in this world, the more I, I'm realizing I don't fit in the world anymore. I just don't fit here. I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful for the privilege to be here. I'm thankful for the privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm realizing more and more all the time this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're strangers here upon this earth. And some of us are stranger than others, but we're stranger here upon this earth. We're just a passing through. One day soon, Jesus is coming back for his children. I want you to make sure that you're on the right team this morning, that you know that you know him. Get that settled today if you don't know it. Let's bow our heads today, every head bowed.